Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. We are on week two of our series, Jesus Reacts. Yeah. And today we're going to start having a conversation, you and I, about anger. You guys can listen in too. It's all right. So we're, we're trying to tackle this really normal emotion. You know, anger is something that as humans we feel. And we're actually going to look and try and bring some clarity around what does the Bible say about anger? Now, this is week two of our series, Jesus Reacts. Mm. So we're a better place to start than looking at how Jesus reacts. Absolutely. So let's turn, if you have your Bibles at home, why don't you turn with us to John 2 verses 13 to 19. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. No Bitcoin at this point, right? So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of it from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered what it is, it is written. Zeal for your house will consume me. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that we can open up your word today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak through us. You give us revelation. You just lead everyone who's watching at home into this time where they can just really meet you afresh as we talk about this emotion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Paige, do you remember our proper fight, like our first ever proper fight? Of course I do. It's still going on. It's still going on. I remember it vividly, right? So month one of marriage and the sun was shining. It was a beautiful day outside. The birds were singing. We didn't have any children. So we were calm. It was a Disney picture. That's what our lives are usually. So, And at that point, one month into a marriage, yeah. everything you do together is romantic. So we chose to do the washing together, like the laundry. And we were like, let's look, I'll even hold this basket with you. Let's walk down the stairs holding a basket together. And then we held hands and it was really great. Yep, and we sung and danced around the, the you know, hills hoist. And as we started putting up our laundry onto the line... You did it wrong. No, you did it wrong. No, you did it wrong. And we started seeing that each of us were hanging laundry wrong. He still does it wrong. And it started as frustration. Like the question was like, why are you hanging? Like, why are you putting socks up like that? Why? Like, don't, don't put those pegs in that place because I'll have to iron it. And, and, you know, it started actually growing. Are you understanding I understand now, now yeah. Oh, but I'm too stubborn to change. But <laughs> I... It started growing from frustration into anger. And we actually started getting quite angry at each other. And, you know, the the funny thing is it was one month into marriage. Like we had plenty of these conversations to come. And we got to the point where we were so angry. We were meeting with friends for dinner that night. We actually took that anger and that discussion, heated discussion, not an argument, sure. We're a great couple, so a heated discussion, to the dinner table and almost divided our friends group. Like... Half of us were like, yeah, Prash hangs right. The girls sided with me, the boys sided with him. It was, it, it was, was a big thing. We were so angry about hanging laundry up and we didn't actually take a second to just stop, listen to each other and just see what, that we weren't hanging it up wrong. No. We were just different. It was just the way we were raised. It's what we knew, right? 
And if we'd taken a moment to just stop and listen, things may have gone very differently. I mean, we have a great marriage now. It's not like it changed our marriage for, you know, we still do, we still hang up laundry in the exact same way. But how interesting is it that we can just, look, turn on the TV, we can just turn on our, our lap, uh, open our laptops up, open our Instagram, social media, and we can find that there's a lot of angry people in the world today. Mm. There's people angry about not getting the vaccine. There's people angry about people who are getting the vaccine. You know, there's people angry about the old New South Wales Premier. There's people angry about the new New South Wales Premier. Like, there's a lot of emotion being uh, exposed into the atmosphere, mm. but not a lot of peace. And there's a lot of emotion being vented and there's a lot of venting being done, but not a lot of listening. Yeah, you're very right. I think you can just take one look at the internet and you'll see how angry the world is at the moment, especially. And when, when you look at these people, I find that you can identify two types of angry people. Ready? So the, the two types are the stewers and the spewers. And already... You're thinking about what type you are, I'm sure. And if you can figure that out, write it in the chat. But I'm going to give you some quick definitions. So a spewer is a type of person that when they feel the emotion of anger, when they get angry at something, it could be, you know, someone cut you off in traffic. It could be waiting in line. It's they have to say something about it. They spew their emotion all over the place. In It, it is just an attempt to feel better, but... Yeah, it can... It's cathartic. It's it makes <laughs> you feel better. It's a little tantrum, but after the tantrum, you feel a bit better. But sometimes it does leave a little bit of a, a bad taste in people's mouths, right? And then you have the stewards. Now, the stewards, they're cool. They're calm. They're collected. They aren't going to say nothing. But for the hours to come, they'll either be a big old grumpy pants or... They'll just think about it over and over and over in their head, analysing every little detail. And it, uh, yeah, it yeah. can be a little bit... That, that sometimes, I think, is more hard on yourself. Right, and I think, um, really, I'm going to add another one in there. It's, it's the hybrid. Ah. It's the mix of a spewer and a stewer, which I think we are. Because when I come home and, so and someone things. has made me angry, yes. I spew to you. Oh, yeah. But when you make me angry, I stew to myself. <laughs> and oh, yeah. So it's like a hybrid. It's a mix. Yeah, depending on the situation. And hopefully by now you have identified which one you are. Or if you're like Prashan and I, you might be a bit of a mix. And depending on the situation. So let us know in the chat if you're game. Put in, are you a spewer or a stewer? Or what we're going to call a hybrid. You know, the good for the world one. And... Uh, I want you to keep hold of that, okay, for the rest of our time together because it's going to come and, and, and weave in and out of our, our message today. But surely God has thought about this, right? Surely he knows that we're hardwired to react in a certain way. Yeah, so I think the thing about whether a stewer, a spewer or a hybrid, <laughs> the good thing is anger is a natural emotion. Yeah. And if we feel it, it means that God's given it to us. Mm. If God's given it to us, it means that it's good. You know, the Bible says that God gives good gifts mm. to his children. So the thing about anger in the Bible is that we see that it's an emotion that can actually uh, lead us into a place that actually makes us more like Jesus mm. or into a place that actually leads us to sin. 
Paul talks about this in the Ephesian church, and he talks about it to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Mm. Meaning that as humans, it's natural to feel angry. However, there's a point where that anger can then lead to sin. And today it's, it's, it's awesome that we get to unpack this emotion and really look at how does a Christian, how do, how do we walk our faith, a, a normal day, you know, waking up on a Monday morning, going to work and we feel angry. How do we unpack that? And how do we wrestle with that emotion? Good question. Because what we see in the Bible is that the emotion of anger is, is shared by all of humanity. Everyone in the Bible felt anger. But what we also see is that the motives of anger and the actions taken by someone who's angry either causes them to sin or reflect the heart of God. Yeah. You know, there are two men in the Bible who portray angry, uh, anger with different motives and different actions. And we can have a look at this. And the amazing thing is we have the ability to reflect now mm. on what can we do as Christians when it comes to anger. Hindsight's twenty twenty, yeah? Great. The God gave us a whole book of hindsight. Isn't that nice? Mm. So Moses is one of these people in the Bible who I think, uh, when I think of anger, mm. like when you read about Moses, you can see that he's a, he's a very emotional person. I mean, if I was leading the thousands of Israelites who complained every single day for 40 years, I'd probably be just as emotional, to be honest. But Moses' emotion, namely his anger was actually the one thing that kept him from entering into the promised land that God had shown him. Mm. The Bible talks about this time where God verbally tells Moses to speak to a rock so that he could provide his people with water. But Moses was so overwhelmed with frustrations of the people and, and anger, he actually directly disobeys God's word mm. and strikes the rock, still providing water, but putting himself in a predicament where God says, because you've done this and because you've reacted this way to the people, mm. I will no longer allow you to walk into my promised land. See, Moses' motives and his actions weren't righteous. And anger that's characterized by these types of motives and actions actually talked about in James. So James, the brother of Jesus, writes this book in chapter 1, verse 20. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, human anger, or what Moses had, yeah. does not make you into the type of person that God wants you to be. Mm. So James calls this anger that's rooted in our flesh as a human, he calls that human anger. And the thing about human anger is that human anger actually gratifies the flesh. Mm. It's that type of anger where the motives are unrighteous and so are the actions. It's the type of anger where it feels better to stew or spew, even though we may hurt someone or you know, change the situation around us because it's gratifying the flesh and giving us immediate pleasure. Mm. It's, type, it's that type of anger where you react out of your flesh because someone said something to you that's hurt you mm. or done something to you. And you're doing that so that you, you're building your flesh up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when we look at Moses, I was just thinking then, we quite often reflect on Moses as being this really great man. And I, I think that just because he struggled with this anger doesn't mean he's not a really great man, right? And he didn't do incredible things for the kingdom. But we're going um, to flip over to another guy in the Bible who 
gives us some guidance on this as well, and that is, of course, Jesus. So you read it earlier, the famous verses that people use a lot to justify their anger, that Jesus flipped the tables and he... We should have done a demonstration I know, that for anyone who sick. didn't know. Just line some tables up. Got a, could have got Michael, because he, you know, he makes tables. Imagine oh. him flipping a table he made. That is power. <laughs> that would be so devastating with the breaking of your own creation. <laughs> oh, sorry if we've caused you some stress down there, Michael. Um, but we, we use this verse a lot to justify it. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. And we're going to continue to unpack that throughout this message to give us a lot more context because as we know when we read the bible we've got to read it in context otherwise we can start making our own interpretations about what the text is saying and they can be wrong sorry um so we're going to keep going and jesus comes in and he gets he gets angry but it's not like he just lost his temper because he didn't agree like it's not like he's like oh this is crappy i'm gonna flip a table he was he had been watching the mockery and the disrespect of his father's temple, right? And he got to the point where he went, you know what? This is my father's house. I need to look after it. And I'm actually going to get rid of the people that aren't doing that. So he expelled them from the temple. He didn't lose his opinion over an, like, he didn't, sorry, lose his temper over an opinion or something that was different for every person. He lost his well, I don't know if he lost his temper, but he was driven to action by injustice, right? So in John 2.17, it says his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus's anger was fueled by his zeal rather than any intent to hurt or cause an emotional pain to someone else or the people that were in that temple, right? So we can have a look at this other side of anger. We've, we've had a look at human anger. We can now look at what righteous anger is. And righteous anger is a response to injustice and the degradation of people. This type of anger should lead us to compassion. It should lead us to a deeper like connection with God and with the other person, to be fair, and the restoration of the world as per, Jesus, uh, sorry, as per God's mission for the world. Unlike Moses, who lost it all and lost the rest of his mission because of his anger. And um, I don't know about you guys out there in TV land, but growing up, anger in my family was not really seen as like an appropriate emotion. Like you could get angry, but like it was bad and it was considered dangerous or it was considered something that should be hidden. But what I've been learning from studying this and, and this week with Prashan, we've been going over a lot of this stuff, is that anger doesn't have to be this scary emotion. It doesn't have to lead to a place that hurts people because Jesus came. So regardless of whether you're a stewer or a spewer, the two types of anger that we can look at are human anger and righteous anger. And righteous anger is rooted in holiness and it allows us to feel compassion and love as opposed to anger. Yeah, that's great. So it's good that you've paralleled human anger, which is rooted in the flesh, and righteous anger, which is rooted in holiness, but really it's rooted in our spiritual being, which is being made more like Christ as we get holier, right? 
And Paul draws a really interesting parallel with a very similar thing in Galatians 5, where he talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. He says that there are works of the flesh, which include things like fits of anger, and then there are fruit of the spirit. You know, as I was reading this this week, I began to see that the works of our flesh are generally reactions of the flesh to the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of other people. But the fruit of the spirit are actually a result of what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of us all. One's actually quite quick when you react, it's quite quick. And one takes time and it takes experience and it takes correction and it takes nurturing, which is the fruit. So the, fre- the, the flesh reacts to while the spirit is a result of. And anger can be seen in the same way. So it can either be seen as reactive and seek to gratify the flesh in that instant, or as you were saying, it can be seen as righteous and rooted in, you know, in the spiritual nature. And really it's an overflow of our lives being changed by the Holy Spirit and aligning us to God's will. It gives us the ability to see the world and the injustice and the brokenness around us the way that God sees us. And it moves us to feel this deep spiritual anger that things aren't as good as they could be. And that's all right. That's fine. But the thing is, human anger seeks revenge and retribution. You know, the the Greek word for um, human anger is actually, it's to punish. It's to to make other people feel worse than they made you feel. Um, But righteous anger seeks God's will and the restoration of his world uh, back to the former glory. So one question I ask when I'm angry is, do I want to react or do I want the result? Do I want to lash out in my flesh and react in this moment? Or do I want to allow the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit to be a result that's overflowing out of my body so that we can actually just get the best result because the Spirit's leading us? You know, there's a great tool that we've spoken about, and it's this framework given to us by James in chapter 1. In verse 19, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. If you're watching and you're not taking notes, James is telling you to take notes. It's not me, it's James. So take notes. It says everyone, so not just you and I, this is everyone, like every believer, anyone who's watching right now should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So what this tells me is that whether I'm a stewer or a spewer or a hybrid, I can actually look at this idea of being quick to listen and slow to speak, which gives me a chance to choose in that moment, do I want to react in my flesh in this circumstance or do I want to slow down and do I want the result of the spirit? So this is what I should do when I feel my blood boiled. You know when you get those messages or those notifications on Facebook from that one person who you're like, this is gonna get me angry and your blood pressure's rising and your heart's racing. And it's at that point where James is saying, hold your tongue, be quick to listen and take a moment to slow down. Because when we slow down, we actually walk, we're able to walk by the spirit. Mm. It's a split second decision where we can actually just choose to be slow to anger, just as God's described in the Bible as being slow to anger. Mm. It's in that split second that we actually allow ourselves to make a choice 
should I let my anger lead me to sin or should I take it to God? The split second, it's so quick. And I, I know that for us, we actually have had to deal with this more than once over the last few years in, in some situations in our life. And we've really had to practice because it's not something that comes naturally. I know for me, and this is something that we learned in the marriage course, is to stop. Shout out to the Alpha Marriage <gasps> Course. Man, it's so and good. Dara. It's so good. But one of the things that they say is when you're having a conversation, stop coming up with your rebuttal in your head whilst the other person's, and I do this all the time. I'm like listening to you, but I'm like, yeah, but this is what I'm gonna say after you stop it. See, I'm not as quick. It takes me until I hit the shower in the night where I'm like, <laughs> I could have said this. Yeah. So, and I can't even write anything down because my phone's not waterproof. So. <laughs> Plus we know what happens when you ask Siri to write anything down. So this is really, really good and I love this, um, this thing that, you know, these examples that we're sharing, but I do just want to preface this with this takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of practice to be able to respond this way. And Prash and I have experienced that firsthand. So um, we've come up with a few more practical steps because, you know, I like some practical steps, some takeaways. And these are things that we've practiced and we feel will be beneficial for you. So the first one is we always need to take a step back, have a little out-of-body experience, and we need to breathe and assess our motives, right? First thing to do is assess your motive. Proverbs 21.12 says, this is one of my favourite verses, you ready? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. That means you think you're right. We all do, most of the time. But imagine this with me for a second. Imagine, we use them at school, they're called balance arms, the scales. You put your Unifix cubes in there. And when we make a, a judgment, we make a quick, in the heat of the moment response, we make a decision that, as we've been saying, can either lead to righteous anger, which leads me and the other person in a, in a better way and closer to God, or we can respond in a way that leads us to sin, right? And in these moments, I don't know about you, Prash, but in times I like to become the judge and the juror. I'm right, you're wrong, that's the end of the story, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And this is because I start to weigh the situation up to what I think is right and just, and I've got biases, I've got things in my way that, that make me not the best judge. Things that happened, you know, in your family life make you not the best judge. Things that have happened to you, trauma that's happened to you make you not the best judge, right? And we start to put things in the scale and we go, well, you know what? I've weighed this up and I think you're wrong. And I'm right. However, the verse says, but the Lord weighs the heart. And this verse scares me. It scares me a little bit because it means that every time I get angry and every time I am figuring out what to do in that split second, the Lord's not looking at the result. He's not looking at whether you're right or not. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart and going, well, Paige, where's your motive? 
Well, Paige, why are you doing this? Well, Paige, where am I in this situation? He doesn't care if you're right or wrong, right? He's looking at your heart. So I always think that a really helpful question to do when we step back and take a look is ask ourselves, do we want to be right or righteous? Woo. And I think, question. I think- Can you if, repeat that? You repeat that one? No, if you didn't hear it, no, just kidding. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? Because, you know, I'm gonna, there's always, this happens to me all the time. I like sharing stories, so. Um, Prash and I, because again, we're a wonderful married couple. We I don't argue. I haven't heard this story before, so <laughs> this could go either way. So log off if it goes negative and goes <laughs> south. You have, you have. It's written in my notes. <laughs> but um, I love when we get to a moment in an argument where you've prepped, you think, yeah, I've got this down. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say my point. I'm going to get it out there and then I'm going to feel better, right? You, you know, if you're like me, you rehearse things in your head and then you get into the conversation and halfway through you figure out you're wrong. You are dead set wrong. And for me, I'm like, I got one or two options. I can either backpedal real hard and make it sound like I actually agree with you. Like, no, you got to, like, I do agree with you. Or I just agree to disagree. And that's the end of that. We'll just agree to disagree. We don't have to. And to be fair, you don't have to agree with everyone everything. Like, if you did, you'd be stuck in these conversations for the rest of your life. But sometimes in these conversations especially, I want to be right more than I want to be righteous. But what I, and I don't know, you may resonate with this, but I fail sometimes to think about the person on the other side. That there is a person, a human person with feelings, with a, per a plan and a purpose from God on the other side of this anger. And I can't help but wonder that in our pursuit to be right, we forget that. We forget the other person on the other side. In our pursuit to be right, we, we forget to show compassion and we forget that Jesus would respond with compassion and his accepting grace and love, right? So this always brings me back to the keyboard warriors. <sighs> People that, um, and you might be one of them, I hope I'm not offending you, but people that portray their anger. Spew. Yeah, they spew their anger all over social media, fighting for a social justice issue. Not a biblical justice issue, but a social justice issue or their own personal issue, stating their opinion and nothing else. And I think it's in these moments, especially with social media, that we need to assess our motives. Because here's the thing, you can cancel, you can post your opinions to the cows come home, but the only thing you're really doing is showing people who you are. So if someone reads your Facebook post or your Instagram post or your whatever post, and they don't see the compassion the grace and the love of Jesus, as a Christian, what are we really saying? Who does that really say you are, right? And I think that if we can assess our motives before we speak, before we post, then one, our anger is gonna diminish. It's gonna come down. We're gonna put things into perspective and we're gonna start treating people in the way that God would like and that's with love and compassion and grace. Because sometimes 
you know, even with righteous anger, we, it can quickly leave, lead to sin if it does not contain love. Yeah, it's good. And too many people um, many times try and justify their anger with the verse of Jesus flipping the tables. I've done that. Yeah. I've done that. I've been like, no, Jesus got angry too. But they, they constantly forget that Jesus wasn't characterised by his anger. He was characterised by his love. That action was actually an anomaly. Like it never happened before and it would never happen again. And, and often we get so angry, but we never think that, hey, maybe we need to be characterised by love in this moment as opposed to my anger. Regardless of who's right. And even if we're righteously angry, there can be a point, like you said, where it could lead to sin. And it's in that point we think, what is my motive? How am I love? How can this lead to better change and not to burning this bridge or changing this situation negatively? And it leads us into our next and second point, which is our last one as we wrap up. It's to assess my action. So in this step, I ask, okay, I know my motive. Now, what am I going to do with my anger? I love the psalmist. He is someone, David is someone who I look at and I'm like, I don't know how you stayed a Christian with everything happening. Like, how did you maintain your relationship with God? Like, you were angry. You were, you know, chased to the point of death. Like, everything was taken away. And you tell God that. You say, I'm so angry. But you never speak up about the other person or even just, you know, try and take things into his own hands. He says in Psalms 4 verse 4 to 5, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder it in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I love that the psalmist writes this because it's actually the verse that Paul uses, as we talked about before, to the Ephesian church, which shows us that it's actually such a good verse to remind us how to deal with anger. Because he says that, you know, as we've spoken about, Anger can only lead two ways, that we either become more like Christ or less like Christ. So when it comes to assessing my action, the psalmist says, ponder your emotions on your bed and be silent. Like just sit and feel it. It's okay to feel angry, but don't let it allow, allow you to sin. In my case, it might look like journaling. I love journaling. That's a practical thing for me. It helps me get my emotion out of my head so I don't stew on it. Shout out to all my stewards. Um, And onto a piece of paper so that I can say that I've now no longer harboured this emotion, which could potentially take root in my heart. That's how you release it. 100%, because otherwise you you, you stew. And, you know, people say unforgiveness, uh, which it can lead to, is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Such a good saying. It just hurts us more than it'll, it'll ever hurt anyone else. Yeah. And, and the amazing thing is, he says, you know, feel this emotion, but then don't go to sleep because you're on your bed. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What does that mean? What does right sacrifice A right mean? sacrifice in this situation, essentially he's saying, even when you're feeling angry, you have the opportunity to offer something as worship to God. It could be a sacrifice of submission, where we say, God, my emotion is heavy, but I allow you to control, to to come, I allow myself to come under you now, where you have all control of the situation and I give you that emotion. Um, It could also be a sacrifice of praise. Like how many times have we felt angry and praised? I can say, I could probably count on 
one finger, <laughs> not even one hand. Um, but, but David's saying in this situation, when you feel angry, offer this sacrifice because that shows us that we're human, but it shows us who God is in the situation. And the action that we should then take is not to ponder and, and, and you know, ruminate on the emotion and then post on social media. No, but to do this, to offer it to God, to direct our emotion to the one who has all control, but can also give us all comfort and can also bring us to correction. You know, I love in Ephesians 4.26, Paul continues to say, do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. When Paul was writing this, I wonder if he was like putting in a practical time limit for how long we should be angry for. You got 12 hours. The sun's up for 12 hours. I wonder if he's saying, look, you can feel angry. You're allowed to, but only for 12 hours. After that, you know, you need to, you need to do something about it. I love that though. Like I love that he instructs you to do something about it. Yeah, he says, don't dwell on it. Yeah. Don't allow yourself to go to bed angry because when you do, once again, anger can take a root, a deep root in your life and in your heart and actually turn to bitterness and actually make you resent the other person. Um, and, and instead he says, before, before you go to sleep, give it to God. One, so you can have a good night's sleep. But two, so that you can get rid of any opportunity for, as he says, the devil to get a foothold. You know, in the Greek, that word foothold, it means a place or a room. So if you can just imagine a, a house, you know, that's our life. And we're doing everything we can to stop that house um, from being invaded by evil, but we leave the door slightly cracked. You know, that's what anger does. It leaves that door in our life or in our house slightly ajar. Let's the enemy come and sleep in your guest room. Yep, the enemy will put his foot in there. He'll turn it into an Airbnb and make lots of money out of it. But essentially, that's, the, that's what Paul's trying to say. Hey, your life, anger can leave just an opening that's large enough for the enemy to invade. I wonder, I wonder if marriages that are struggling right now um, are struggling because they've just allowed anger to direct their conversations. I wonder if friendships and relationships with family are struggling because instead of closing that door by you know, taking away the element of anger, they've allowed anger to just fester in, in those relationships and really invite the enemy in. So as we wrap up, let's just revisit the story of Jesus reacting in, in John. You know, many scholars actually think that Jesus flipping tables was not necessarily an opportunity for Jesus to be angry, but actually a moment that was necessary for God's will to be done. This is really good. You need to listen right now if you're not listening. They say, they say that it wasn't emotional, it was intentional. Because the selling of doves, cattle, sheep, the changing of money, all actually happened in the temple. Like even past that date and before that date, like it wasn't like, the temple was having a, a bake sale where Jesus came in and was like, what is happening here? Like, this is the first time I've seen this. He actually visited the same temple from the age of 12. That's over 20 years. He would have seen these things happening. But Jesus also knew that this was the last week of his life. He knew that if he didn't do something, then he wouldn't have much time to do it. So for him, flipping tables and disrupting the system Yes, he was reflecting the heart of God in his compassionate anger and righteous anger, but he was actually also starting his purpose 
that he would be sacrificed in a couple of days. Like that was why it was an anomaly. That's why he wasn't characterized by anger. But he knew that I need to be intentional so that God's will, which was that he be sacrificed, will be done. You know, I love it. The Jews respond to him flipping it. They say, what sign, like what authority do you have to do this? And Jesus' reply is so intentional for his anger. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, we know that he's not talking about the physical temple. Like he was talking about himself. He knew that his purpose time was coming. These were his last seven days. He knew that in seven days he would be crucified, but he also knew that in three days after that, he'd be resurrected. So Jesus displayed his righteous anger for a brief moment in his three-year ministry to show us that our righteous anger should reflect the heart of God and progress God's mission on earth, which is to bring restoration to, to humanity and the world around us. He actually reacted because, uh, not because he was an angry person, but because he knew that he needed to be in that moment so that his purpose and God's will would be fulfilled. So that actually leaves us with our anger. Our anger should be the same in that whether it's human anger or righteous anger, we should allow it to, to move us and feel it, but we should also take it straight to God and say, God, here is my anger. It might be righteous, it may be unrighteous, but God, will you allow it to change me so that I become more like you or change the world through using my righteous anger so that your will be done? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, God, you have given us the emotion of anger. It's not a negative anger. It's not a sinful feeling. But God, I just pray now for for anyone who's struggling with anger, who's struggling with that split second decision to choose that maybe their anger just wouldn't lead to sin. And God, I, I thank you that you are just such a gracious God. I thank you that you look down on us in, in our states of anger sometimes and you still say, look, that is, the, that is the child that I'd sent my son to die for. And Father, as we navigate this emotion, as we wrestle, you know, what anger looks like in our lives, Father, I pray that you invade that space in that split second decision where we have to choose to either gratify the flesh or walk by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you just fill that space? So it becomes a no-brainer that the the first thing we think is not how can I rebut or how can I hurt this person, but it's how can I be more like Jesus right now? Father, I pray for anyone struggling with with anger. Will you just give them a supernatural uh, shift in in this emotion right now? We believe for miracles. We believe for families to be restored. We believe for marriages to be reconciled. We believe for uh, children to see a, a change in parents in the way that they love them and not get angry at them. God, you are the only one who can make these changes. Nothing we can do in our own strength will prove beneficial or sustainable. But Holy Spirit, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.